All right. So just because there, there are some, some new folks, I will recap a little bit of what we did last week. Um, we're in the book of Hebrews, and it's part of our uh, trip through the whole Bible. We're making a stop in Hebrews. We've done the first three books of the Old Testament so far, and um, we are now jumping into Hebrews because it, Hebrews is in the New Testament, but it also talks a lot about those books that we just read in the Old Testament, the Exodus from Egypt, the uh, sacrifices, the priesthood, all of that stuff that the Old Testament uh, spells out in, in pretty, pretty uh, graphic detail. Uh, Hebrews really brings all of that to, uh, to its f- fulfillment and sees all of that as pointing to Jesus. And so uh, the book of Hebrews was written to a group of people a group of Christian believers who were likely a mix of Jews and Jewish converts and Gentiles who were familiar with uh, the Old Testament. And they were experiencing some, some hardships, some trouble, some persecution. And it was causing them to question whether Jesus really was the way, whether following Jesus was the, the thing to stick with. And the author of Hebrews leaves no stone unturned in saying, Yes, it's Jesus. Double down on Jesus. Don't drift away. Don't get tired. Don't get bored. Don't get frustrated. Don't, don't despair. Um, everything that you need is in Jesus. And so the whole book is an exhortation. It's a strong encouragement with a little bit of warning sprinkled throughout it to not abandon Jesus. Don't even think about looking elsewhere for hope because he is all of our hope. Um, and so the, the book is outlined uh, roughly like this. The first four chapters talk about the superiority of Jesus as God's son. And it says that God revealed himself in a lot of ways through history, through the prophets, through the Old Testament. Um, but in these days, he has spoken to us through his son. The son of God is the final word on who God is and what he is like. The middle section of the book talks specifically and goes into a lot of detail about the superiority of Jesus as our high priest. So it talks a lot about the priesthood, what the priesthood was even there for, and how Jesus brings that into a much better and more full and more complete fulfillment. Um, And then he talks about the temple and the sacrifices and everything having to do with that whole system of worshiping God, that was the way of life for the Israelites in the Old Testament, part of the law, that Jesus is what all of that was pointing to, and he is its fulfillment. And how he is superior to that whole system. And then from chapter 10, the middle of chapter 10 to the end of the book, it's an extended exhortation to remain faithful to Jesus. And it's, it, it, it urges the readers to, to uh, have faith, And a lot of times we think about faith. I haven't talked about this much, but faith is a huge theme in the book of Hebrews. But a lot of times we think about faith as like, I believe God exists. That's that's certainly part of faith. But faith, I think almost even a better word is faithfulness. So part of faith means, yes, believing in God, but, but remaining faithful to him. And remaining sold out for Jesus and convinced of his superiority um, and not drifting away. In other words, faith is the opposite of everything that they were being tempted to do. 
they were to being tempted to become faithless and, and not remain wholly devoted to, to Jesus. And it's in that, the, that last part that we have one of the more famous chapters of the Bible, the chapter, is it 11 or 12? I always forget. 11? <laughs> the Hall of Faith. It goes through all these Old Testament characters and just illustrates how they were faithful um, to, uh, to God. And they remained faithful to God. And they didn't even have what we have in Jesus. They just believed God because of his goodness. All right. So I, I want to talk tonight about that middle section. The superiority of Jesus as high priest. And so open up to chapter 4. Toward the end of chapter 4. And like the writer of Hebrews, there's, there's a lot of things in this chapter that we don't have time to speak of in detail. Um, and we just need to cover briefly. But uh, to understand kind of the, the argument of the, the author here, we really need to understand the significance of the priesthood. Because if he's saying that Jesus is the better high priest, he's writing to people that had a deep an intimate understanding of what the priesthood was and what it meant and how important it was. Uh, So we have a little glimpse into that, and I think this is a a pretty key scripture. Chapter 5, verse 1. Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. That, in a nutshell, is the significance of the priesthood. It is a, a you could call it a class of people. Uh, it was the tribe of Levi, specifically. But uh, it was a group of people who their job was to act on behalf of the rest of the people as mediators between God and man. Okay? Okay. Uh, and I just want to, I want to remind us, so the, the, this really gets at the whole story of the Bible. God created heaven and earth. He put man in the Garden of Eden. He had close fellowship with mankind. He came down and walked with man in the garden in the cool of the day. Mankind, Adam and Eve, chose to rebel. They chose to not trust God, and they uh, broke the one commandment that God had given them at that point. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as a result, they were cast out from the presence of God. And that sets up the whole story of redemption. God always wanted relationship and fellowship with mankind. That's why we were created, to have relationship with God. We, We talked about this when we were talking about Genesis, that Before the foundation of the world, God had relationship with his son. And he said, this is good. And in Genesis, there's that verse that says, let us make man in our image. Let's share what we have. And that's the whole purpose of creation. That's why we are here. So that was broken. That relationship was broken. So the whole rest of the story of Scripture is about the mending of that relationship. Um, During this time when God is working to redeem his people back to himself. And the priesthood is a major uh, aspect 
a major part of that story. All right? They are people who go, they, are, they serve as go-betweens between God and man. There is a chasm between God and man. There is a rift in the relationship. And priests are there to act on behalf of the people in relation to God. Specifically, it says offering gifts and sacrifices for sins. Okay, so what separated mankind from God was sin. It was rebellion. And the priests were there to atone for sin, to help the people atone for sin so that they could be, once again, near to God. Although it wasn't, the, the, the picture of the nearness to God that we have in the Old Testament is not anywhere close to what God ultimately desired. But it was a step toward reconciliation. All right? And we see in the book of Revelation at the end, when it all comes to a conclusion, Genesis 3, they leave the presence of God. Gen- uh, Revelation 21, it says the, that the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven. And it says, yeah, he, he heard a voice from heaven. Actually, I want to read it. Because this, this is a wonderful passage of scripture to, to always have on your heart. This is really our, our hope. Revelation 21 uh, start in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, and there's almost a sense of finally in this, at long last, The dwelling place of God is with man. Finally, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. That was the whole purpose from the very beginning. And that's what all of the story of redemption points to. This relationship between God and man. This reconciliation. And so the priests... Act on behalf of man in relationship with God. All right, and there are sacrifices for sin, and there are gifts that they offer. So we looked at that uh, in the book of Leviticus, and we saw all the stipulations. If you want to do this kind of offering, this kind of offering, this kind of offering, this kind of sacrifice, and there's all sorts of there's a whole system. And all right, if someone does this, well, then you got to do this. If someone does this, then you got to do this. If someone does this, then you got to do this. And we looked at the Day of Atonement, which was this annual kind of purging of the system itself. <laughs> All right, now we've been offering sacrifices on this altar. Well, now we've got to cleanse this altar so that our sacrifices can continue to be holy and atone for our sins. All right? And so there's this whole system set up to bring people closer to God. That's what it was for. So that God could be with people. And that his holiness would not mean destruction for them because of their sin. So chapters 5 through 7 of Hebrews talk about the priesthood. Specifically the kind of priest that Jesus is. If I can get back to Hebrews. And then chapters 8 and 9, roughly, uh, talk about the sacrifices, specifically the blood uh, of the, the atoning blood, and the temple, the holy place. Okay? 
So there's two, there's two things overall that, that uh, you could say about Jesus as high priest. That he made, he made it possible for people to relate to God anytime and any place. Okay? There were, in the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, there were prescribed times and sequences, and if this, then this, and on this day, do this. All right? And this, specifically the Day of Atonement, which Hebrews mentions, once a year, the priest goes into the Holy of Holies. Okay? And there was obviously a specific place. This all happened in the tabernacle, wherever that was set up. It couldn't happen anywhere else. Right? The presence of God was here in this place at this particular time. All right, and, and all through this, we see that Jesus now got rid of the time constraint and he got rid of the location restraint. All right. And then as a sacrifice, he was the perfect sacrifice. He got rid of the need for this cycle, sin and atonement, sin and atonement, sin and atonement. And this, all right, well, this, this blood was only good for this amount of forgiveness. Jesus went in and he, by the perfect blood, he, was, he enabled God to forgive every sin for all time. Okay? And um, there's an interesting verse in chapter 8, or chapter 9, verse 6. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second... Only the high priest goes, and he, but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is standing, which is symbolic for the present age or for that old covenant life. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered, that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body, imposed until the time of the Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent or tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood and goats and calves, by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Always. No more annual day of atonement. No more cycle of sin, sacrifice, atonement, sin, sacrifice, atonement. No. We're done with that. We're done with all sin. Every sacrifice, every possible sacrifice has been made. So, the, the main idea, I think, and I want to look at these three um, verses. The main so what that the, the author is offering his readers is draw near. Draw near. Okay, and this really gets at the heart of, of what Jesus is about. 
draw near. The problem is, and the whole reason for the priesthood is that God and man can't be near each other without significant stipulations. Jesus has taken care of all of that. So what? So let's draw near. Let's take advantage of that. Remember, this whole letter is an exhortation. Don't drift away from Jesus. Press into Jesus. And here he's saying, the whole priesthood, listen. For generations, we've been coming to the temple and doing all this stuff. And all the blood and the bulls and calves and goats and pigeons and flour and all this stuff. It's all done. All of that was not a religion to make us feel good. All of that was a means by which to come near to God. That's, the, that's what we're heading for. And now we have a much better way to draw near to God, and we can get much closer to him much more often, wherever we are. So don't lay that aside. Don't look for some other system that you can kind of live in. Jesus is the end of it. What, what more do you want than to just be near to God? To draw near. So I want to look at these. There's three places where he, he says to draw near. I just want to look at those. <clears throat> so last week the challenge was, how do you respond to challenges in your life? Right? This book tells us to don't relate don't respond to challenge and adversity and anything else that, that causes discomfort or pain or whatever. Don't respond to any of that by questioning whether Jesus is really good. Don't even let that come into your mind. You press fully into Jesus. You set your eyes on him and don't worry about all this stuff. Because guess what? Jesus went through all this and way worse. <laughs> way worse. And what it was doing, it was not meaningless. What it was doing was, it was saving the world. All right? Okay, so, uh, chapter 4, verse 16. I start in verse 14. Since then, we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the secret of how to respond in the right way. At any time, in any place, whatever the situation, you have confidence. You can approach the throne of grace with confidence. You don't have to wait. You don't have to prepare a sacrifice. You don't have to do any of that. You draw near with confidence to the throne of grace to help when, whenever the need is, as soon as the need comes up. Isn't that awesome? As soon as need arises... The full presence of God is at your disposal. The the fullness of his grace and mercy. Whether it's a struggle with sin, due to your own desires, the temptations, the throne of grace is available.
to help in time of need. In the instant that you need it. Not later. Not after you've sinned and bring a (laughs) goat for reconciliation. It's able right now. And that's how Jesus lived his life. He was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. Why is that? Because he understood the secret of confident access into the throne room of God. He knew that the real presence of God, the real mercy, wasn't over there in the temple behind that curtain. He knew that it was in the heavenly place. And he walked with that confidence. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is bound to offer sacrifice for his own sins. Verse 7 of chapter 5. In the days of his flesh, Jesus, what did he do? He offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries. He went through trouble. And how did he respond? He offered up prayers. He went to the throne. He drew near with confidence. With loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. He was heard because God saw in his heart true faith. He knows where his help comes from. I'm going to help him. He needs me. I will help him. This is, this is the same thing that God, this is who God is. He wants to help his people. And he is waiting for them to ask him for help. He wants to be found. When, when in the book of Exodus, when it says that he was getting ready to come and deliver the people, it says that God heard the cries of his people. And God knew. God knows. And he hears the cries of his people. All right, then uh, chapter 7, verse 25. Uh, Starting in verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. They had to have a lot of priests, and they reached the age of retirement, and some of them died. Got to replace the priest. But he holds his priesthood permanently. Because he continues forever. That's one advantage, right? We have a priest who we only need one and he's never going to (laughs) die. We don't need a lot of them. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. And this is an awesome verse. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Draw near. Why? Because he can save you to the uttermost. He can't just kind of save you. He can save you to the uttermost. Why? He ever lives to make intercession on your behalf. What's going on in your life? Whatever it is, Jesus is making intercession for you. All the time. Don't drift. Why would you, why would you drift away from him? Where else are you going to find help? He's always living to make intercession for you. 
to bring you together, to close the gap between you and God, to bring you into the presence of God. Draw near. He is able to save us to the uttermost because he always lives to make intercession. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself up himself. For as the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. No more sacrifices all the time. Sacrifice and sin has been dealt with. Now we have access all the time. And communion with God. And receiving grace and receiving mercy. Okay? That's what all of that was trying to get to. And they would just get a little glimpse here now and then. Of that glory and that grace. Well, it's been opened wide up to us. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 22. Start in uh, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, and the first one I talked about and this last one really bracket that the whole section on the priesthood. This is the whole point of all this discussion about Melchizedek and the sacrifices and the blood and all this stuff. The heavenly tent and the curtain of his flesh. All of it is to say this. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, we have someone acting in relation to God on our behalf. And he is the one you want acting in relation to God on your behalf. He's the best one. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So let us draw near. All right? And that's what he's saying. That's, that's the whole discussion of the priesthood. It's a man who tried and closed the gap who serves the the people in relation to God to try and close the gap between God and man. Well, Jesus has done it to the fullest extent possible. And there is a wide open door for you into the presence of God whenever, wherever. So take advantage of it. Go in. Cry out to God. Okay? So last week, the challenge was consider how you respond. This week, the challenge is go in. (laughs) Avail yourself of the grace. 
And it's, it's amazing to me how, how often I realize for myself and in other people's lives, they're just not asking God to help <laughs> a lot of things. Either they don't think that he can or don't think that he wants to or, don't, or think they're beyond help or, or something. Have you really gone into the throne room and come out? I mean, you can't leave the throne room and, and the, the, the throne of grace and come out saying, well, I guess it's just going to have to be like this. Nobody leaves the presence of God saying that. Draw near. Go in. Don't hold back. A um, few other verses I want to read. Uh, let's see, chapter 6. Uh, Starting verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is possible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. This is one of my favorite verses in, in Hebrews. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Once again, the, the hymn was right on uh, tonight. Maybe we can sing that at the end. In Christ alone. My anchor holds within the veil. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Where is the Ark of the Covenant? The mercy seat. The throne of grace. We have, that's the anchor in your soul. Yes, we are in a sea of the present age. <laughs> we get tossed by the waves. Our own desires trip us up. The sins of others trip us up. Just the, the difficulties of life trip us up. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Just let that sink in. Your soul is your very self. It's, it's the center of your being. The Greek word is the psyche, right? It's, it's what you study when you study psychology. It's yourself. Yourself has an anchor, and it, it is immovable when you commune with God, when you enter into the holy place, where Jesus has gone before as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Um, chapter 7. Or chapter 8. Now the point in what we are saying is this. And I like when a writer says that. All right, okay, right. he's telling me what the point is here. The point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest. One who is seated at the right hand. That's now. Right now. And any time. Whenever you say now. That's when Jesus is seated. At the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister in the holy places. 
That is someone who is relating to God on our behalf at all times. In the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. All right. So I, I talked about last week how this book looks at the, there's a present age. Okay, There was a former age, there is a present age, and there is a future to come. And it's an eternal age. And our hope is set on that. But right now, it says we don't see everything in submission to Jesus. Remember that from last week? Now we don't see everything. But we see that part of Jesus' life where he came down and suffered and, and bore all the weakness and remained faithful to God. And that's what we need to set our, set our hope on. The Jesus who humbled himself. The Jesus who, in the days of his flesh, just like in the days of our flesh, in the days of his flesh, he threw himself on God. And he went boldly into the throne of grace. And he cried out loud cries and supplications. And he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. And he's not like a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. Okay? So here's the thing. Jesus understands what it means to be alive in this present age. To live in between the promise and the fulfillment. This is the, this is the lesson of the Old Testament. There's a promise and there's a fulfillment And the fulfillment is those who really believe the promise. The fulfillment will come for those who believe the promise. He who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. And so again, the exhortation is don't drift away. Don't think because of the weakness and the frailty of humankind. Don't think that this might not be the way. It absolutely is the way. It's the only way. And it's the only way to make sense of the way things are right now. There is a day coming. And this is what, as we get into this week, I want us to begin to set our heart on. So, last week we talked about, don't, don't fall away. Don't respond in fear. Don't respond in questioning Jesus and doubting. This week we're talking about going into his presence right now, all the time, whenever you need it. And next week I want to talk about the hope, right? And all three of these things, these, these warnings, these exhortations, these encouragements and the, the welcoming and the open presence of God and the hope of the fulfillment of the promise. All three of these things are things that we need to remain faithful. Okay? They are things that we need to keep in our minds. You'll see all through the um, chapter 11, people who didn't see the full fulfillment, but remained faithful. People who believed what God said more than what they saw. People who trusted God more than their own feelings, more than their own situation. People who didn't interpret God's trustworthiness based on their immediate circumstances. 
That's what faith is. Okay? So we need these warnings. We need these, uh, these summons into the presence of God. And we need the hope uh, for the future, the hope in the eternal age. That no, this is a temporary time. See, that's the thing. When we get messed up and say that this life is the ultimate reality, that's when we start to get confused. But when we set our heart on eternity, all this begins to make sense. Right? And eternity is where Jesus is. Eternity is where the throne of grace is. Eternity is where intercession is being made on our behalf. And that's where our hearts need to, to, to live. Set your minds on things above where Christ is seated. Amen? So, tonight we're going to do communion. And there's really not much I need to say. Right? We are literally drawing near <laughs> to the table and receiving grace. Okay? Um, there's lots of different views on what communion actually is. But I believe, and I, I think most of us would, would agree, that it is a means of grace. Okay? We do this every week because it really does minister grace to us. Okay? It, you really do receive grace to be who you need to be, to overcome the things you need to overcome, to love the people you need to love. You receive that when you come and partake of the body and the blood. Um, so we're drawing near, really, to the throne of grace to receive help in time of need. So I want you to think of the things that you need help in as we come to the table tonight. Where do you need help? And let's ask God for help and come and receive help. And don't just send up a, well, maybe if you, if you have the time. As you come and as you partake, you are receiving the help of God. And you can go and then live in that power and that strength. Amen? So we are coming to do a, really, a real thing. And I want you to have faith. I want you to draw near with confidence. Okay? Not because you deserve it, but because this is what God desires. And this is what Jesus purchased with his blood. The ability to, at any time, in any place, respond to your cry for help. Forgive your sin. To make you one with God. Amen? This is what Jesus did, and this is why he is the high priest that you want. <laughs> and he's better than any other high priest. So let's pray, and then we'll draw near to the, the throne of grace. Father, we thank you um, for this truth. We thank you that you sent your Son, and that you uh, have, that, may, that he has become our peace, Lord, our reconciliation with you. And Lord, as we draw near tonight, I pray that you would um, fill us with the assurance and the confidence and the boldness that the, the book of Hebrews calls for in your followers. Lord, that we would not uh, kind of roll our eyes and say, well, yeah, that, that, that would be nice. But Lord, those needs, those struggles, those weaknesses, uh, Lord, the, the, the temptations that we have today, right now, in this hour, we ask for your help. We don't want to be like those who shrink back, like those who succumb to the present age. Lord, we want to live in eternity. And we need help sent from heaven 
Lord, help sent from eternity. We need the, the intercession that you are making, Lord, to be real in our lives right now. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill each one of us with a deep dependence, a deep cry of supplication as we come uh, to the table tonight. And that you would minister your grace, Lord. It's undeserved, Lord. We don't deserve it. We don't presume. But, Lord, you have won this for us. And we want to receive it fully and acknowledge the depth of it.